Welcome to the Let's Talk Data podcast series presented by SAP, where we explore game-changing technology and strategies with leading experts with the goal of maximizing the value of data across your organization. If you haven't done so already, please follow or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite channel to stay tuned in. Hello, welcome everyone to our SAP Let's Talk Data podcast. Bad data costs the U.S. $3 trillion per year. My name's Autumn Moss from the Global Product and Solution Marketing Team here at SAP. And joining me is my colleague, Kim Huth-Sigler. Hi, everyone. Please let me one more time introduce Dr. Thomas C. Redman, the Data Doc. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for joining us for our final podcast today. For those who may not know Tom or have missed our other podcasts with him, Tom is known as the Data Doc. He's the president of Data Quality Solutions, and his company helps people and businesses realize the enormous opportunity their data offers and teaches them how to set up their organizations to become more data-driven. Welcome, Tom. Thank you very much. I'm so glad we're doing this particular article today. And to, to your point, we've already introduced the article, Bad Data Costs the U.S. 3 trillion dollars per year. That's such a big number. So I'd love to know a little bit more about the background and what in the world is going on here. So right, that number, when that number first came out, IBM published that number on an infographic and and this is like a four V's infographic and and, and $3.1 trillion. I think at the time they put out that number, the, the U.S.'s GDP was on the 17 or 18 billion dollar a year amount and really 3 trillion dollars can that be believed and so what i really wanted to be able to do was to triangulate did that number make sense and we're beginning to see some actual quality statistics and and talk to a lot of people and and it's like you'd look inside a company and people say things like yeah I think a third of what we do is fixing up bad data. You talk to people in finance and it's all, maybe it's three quarters of the time they spent cleaning up bad data and, and poor data scientists spend way, way more time cleaning up bad data than they do actually doing data science. So just saw that over and over again. And what we paired that number with was this notion of a hidden data factory, right? The work that people have to do to correct the data so that they can do their job. And no matter what department we talked to or looked at, people complain that they spent a certain fraction of their time, a quarter, a third, a half, whatever it was, cleaning up bad data. And so you like pair that mechanism. Where did that 3.1 trillion come from? When from this observation about these hidden data factories, in every department, in every company, virtually everywhere. And yeah, it makes sense. And now, to be honest, I don't know if the numbers, I didn't justify that it's $3 trillion plus or minus 100,000. It may be 2 trillion or it may be 4 trillion, but, but it is just an outrageous number. Yes, it's a huge number. Huge number. And think about it, if we could get even a fraction of that back, Think about the economic boom we can create across across the country and, and the whole world, actually. 
Thank you for that insight on why this is such a important topic. Tom, we've spent a lot of time over our podcast series talking about the cost of bad data, but opportunities abound on reasonable and simple solutions. In your opinion, what can we do today to start reining in these astronomical costs and the ridiculous time consumption it takes to fix this problem? Have I told you guys about Stephanie? I don't think so. Yeah, I believe I, so. I, 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 look, I want to put a personal face on this. And because I, the first thing I want to do is I want to get down to what all of us can do, every single human being, what we can do about this. And so this story involves a, a woman I call Stephanie. And Stephanie works in a in a big company. She's one of these people who've been charted as a possible leader of the company someday. And she's getting some choice assignments to help broaden her and teach her a bunch of things about the company. But this particular story unfolds one day, and it's the day before she's about to give her first presentation to the board, right? And she's going over her slides, she's going over her material, and then her assistant pops his head in, and he said, boss, there's problems with the numbers from the widgets department. Those don't look right. And so um, you can imagine she just turns white with fear. And I can't go to the board with bad numbers. What are we going to do? And he thinks for a minute and says, one of my friends works over there. Let me see if I can correct it. And, and then about an hour later, he pops his head back in and says, yeah, I got a different number. I put it in your presentation, just stuck it in the email to you. And, and you're good to go. And so what is, what is oh, Stephanie's feeling a whole lot better. The next day she goes off to the board and the meeting couldn't have gone better. She resonates with the board. The board resonates with her. And in fact, the linchpin of the discussion is that number that her assistant changed, okay? And she comes back, she's obviously giddy, walks into her office, under her office and says to her assistant, on the spot award, $200 out in your favorite restaurant, you and your special someone on the company tonight. And sometimes people say, well, she didn't work in New York City. Um, anyway, nonetheless, he's no fool. And um, he starts packing his stuff to go. And right before he gets out the door, she says, we got to check those widget department numbers every month. Okay. And and the, the thing I want to this like this vignette, as I've told it, this vignette unfolds in thousands of ways across every department and every company. The details change, but the essence of this story remains the same. So let's look at some things that Stephanie didn't do. The first thing she didn't do is she didn't call her colleague up over in widgets and say, hey, we found a problem with your numbers, right? We think the correction is this, and we'd like you to check it out and maybe change the corporate records. And no, she left everybody else in the company to be victimized by the bad data. She didn't volunteer to lead an improvement project to get to the bottom of it. So the problem didn't happen again. She didn't even verify that what her well, that the number our assistant got was even correct, right? We don't. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Right. And then at the end, she took responsibility for widget department numbers that she doesn't know anything about. Okay. And but it is all too natural to, to fall into this trap, right? 
She needed the number. She ran around, did what she needed to fix it up, and but didn't get to the root cause. And the bottom line is she's in a, all of us, Stephanie, you, me, all of us, we're in two roles every day. We are data customers, meaning we depend on the things that somebody else provided. And we are data creators. We do stuff that we put out the reports or recommendations, planning, actual data that others are going to depend on. Okay. What would Stephanie have done if she's a good customer? She would have done those things I said she didn't do. She would have called her counterpart. She would have found out where the data was created. She would say, can I help you here? Can I help you get to the bottom of this and participate in an improvement project? Similarly, on the other side, this story doesn't tackle this, but she, she's a creator too. And so we didn't hear anything about well, who her customers are, what she's trying to do for them. So the key roles in data quality are the data customer and the data creator. Most people, when they hear about these roles, by the way, they are, it is observably true that they're in those roles. But most people have never thought about what those rules, what those roles mean, or taken step one to become good at either one of those roles. And this, to me, is one of the most exciting things about data quality. You don't have to be Stephanie. You can resolve right here and now um, to, to not be that way, to figure out who your customers are to figure out what they need when you find errors in your data to reach back to the creators. Yes, Stephanie had to fix up the numbers, right? She had to, she couldn't go to the board with bad numbers, but she had to take, she should take that extra step to be a good data customer. And anybody at any level can take this. And by the way, it is way, way better than going through the terror she went through right in the middle right, of the day, right, to right before the board. So that's number one, okay? And, and by the way, it, it is so simple, so basic. We're used to being customers or creators and other aspects of our life. Why we're not on data is uh, that's a shame we're not. So I, I think that's the first thing from the individual level. And now let's step it up to the company level and the company level. So I'm okay. You've got 300 employees. Step one is train them all on these roles. And if you're a thousand person company, 10,000 person company, I don't care how big you are, right? The number one priority in my view of every data program has got to be get this quality, train people on these roles, right? Make it easier for customers and creators to connect. And as far as I can tell, every company that has done this seriously or any part of any company has really seen big improvements pretty darn quick. We talked about Chevron in an earlier episode of this series. That's the big deal. I have one other simple step that I'd like to add, and then one more thing that's a little more complex, but sometimes... Sometimes in some organizations, it's like you got to get the facts, right? Okay, was this an occasional problem? Is it eating us up every day or that kind of thing? And, and if listeners will Google the Friday afternoon measurement, it will take them to a little two-minute video 
that, that we put out that maybe it's a three minute video that shows people how to make their first data quality measurement. And it, it literally is designed to be done in a in 90 minutes on a Friday afternoon or wh wh whatever day you you choose to do that. And if you ask most people how good their data is, you get, yeah, we're OK. We're in the mid 90s. And they make this simple measurement and they find out they're at 75 or 63 or, or whatever it is. And it can be a real eye opener, right? The second big step, either for individuals or companies, is find out how good it is, right? There's no reason to, to speculate when in 90 minutes you can find out. I would have to say, though, for Stephanie's situation, I was getting anxious while you were telling the story because. I'm curious how she so confidently shared the second number when the first number was wrong and she didn't ask any questions. She didn't clarify, figure out why was there a discrepancy in that number in the first place? Yeah, that that made me a, a little anxious. Look, I think it should. I didn't say anything in the story that she called somebody up over there or verified, right? She basically depended on the assistance network kind of thing. So I mean, not all companies have networks of assistance, but I didn't say she corrected the number. I just said she changed it. And look, this goes on all the time. That doesn't look right. Get me something better. Where right. better means looks better, right? Doesn't necessarily have to have to be right. Anyway, and, and by the way, the, the other thing I really want to, I want to make, I would, Stephanie behaved in a very human way, right? Stephanie had a job to do, right? She didn't have the data she needed or felt she needed to do her job. And then taking the action to get the data she needed to do her job, it, it's very natural. Practically everyone says, up until she comes back from the the meeting with the board, she did exactly the right thing. Not really correct because she didn't verify the number, but the stuff she didn't do afterwards is pretty darn bad. And then asking her assistant to check those numbers every month, that's just horrendous. Absolutely. Agreed. So to get back to your question, so you ask, what can we do? And the first thing is don't be Stephanie. Learn to be a better data creator and data customer. And it's really not that hard. And it's way better than, like I said a few minutes ago, it's way better than going through the terror that she went through on the on the day before the board meeting. By the way, I think we will, the story doesn't go this far, but you wonder how she slept that night and wondered if, yeah, what if what I told them was wrong? What if my assistant made, took a right number and made it wrong? What if there were other bad numbers there that we didn't see? So she'll have to live with that uncertainty for a long time. It's, it's, it's interesting it's that you bring this up because you're talking about what comes next, the future, the, the next steps. So in the article, you actually mention, and I quote, that it's hard to imagine any sort of future when so much data is bad. And here we are. It is the future. It's Stephanie's future. It's our future. So from when you originally wrote this article in 2016, not much has changed. If time, money, and resources are freed up to pursue other data strategies, what would those strategies be and how would it begin to change the future of data? So I'm really glad you asked, asked that question. I, I think one thing has changed in the last seven years, and that's data has become increasingly important 
more people use data to do more things. And I don't have any fraction of fractions before and after, but look at where we sit today in 2023. Productivity is stagnant. Our political discourse is dominated by lies. The people are fed up, right? I read the other day that cancer patients can't get their medication because of supply chain. So these are just coupled with data. Things are, are certainly not getting any better. And I'll get off my soapbox on that because that's not what you ask, what would happen. It's been the best part of my career has been working with people and companies and teams that have decided to attack these issues. And in almost all cases, when people's time is freed up, they start thinking of ways to do their jobs better. People may think about how can we drill wells better, or they may think about how can I approach customers better? How can we approach more customers? The I think that individuals, they have a certain amount of, it's not everybody, and different amounts for each people, they have a certain amount of intellectual want to push the envelope. And if you take that time they're, they're using to push the envelope, correcting data errors, then they look around and find other ways to innovate. And and that's been, that's what's so cool. Right? So people say to me, oh man, I know now I don't have to do this stuff anymore. I'm starting to think about this stuff in a different way. And the combination of taking the productivity hit due to bad data out and then freeing up people's time, it's it. It's what creates the economic boom. Again, I've only seen it in, and I don't know, it's in three or four dozen companies that, that I've worked with over the years, but it's the most encouraging part. So I heard you say that productivity has become a little stagnant. And if we were to, to, to have the opportunity to correct some of this bad data, jobs would become more productive, innovation becomes more prominent, we have more free time to focus on the future of business instead of the future of bad data. Am, am I correct? I think you said that in a really good way. Look, when you're correcting bad data, you're looking to the past and dealing with errors that you made then. And if you can eliminate that, then people can look to the future a whole lot more. This productivity thing, right, like economic growth, our well-being, the country's well-being, Right? All of us, companies, what they can pay people and things like that. It depends on productivity. We talked about this in an earlier part, part of this series, but productivity has been flat for a long time, and it's been flat in the face of some really exciting technologies. And, and look, another aspect of this is I think bad data is keeping us from getting the most out of some of these technologies. So... Look, so, so I think there's enormous opportunities. Obviously, there's going to be a few bad actors who say, okay, I, I had 10 people on this team. I freed up the data quality problem. Now I only need eight, and they're going to fire people. But I'm, I think those are going to be in the minority. I, I may be wrong about that, right? But certainly the opportunity to take money which I think you can view as a tax. It's it's a productivity tax or it's a sin tax due to the, to ha having bad data. And you can free that up and you can do other things. Very insightful. I, I appreciate the thought of the future being brighter if we can just make some corrections and that you have said 
repeatedly through the podcast series that it's not really that difficult. The future really could be different, bigger, brighter, better with some minor corrections. Yeah. So so look, and I, I like the way you said it. They're minor in the sense that they're minor in the sense that the work is not difficult and it's certainly way better than what we're doing now. But change is always hard. And at scale, getting people to to take on those role on these roles of customer and creator, it's non-trivial, right? However, the evidence <laughs> is that when you do that, really good things happen. And it is more than worth the trouble. So, Tom, we've spent a lot of time throughout our podcast series together talking about bad data sapping productivity, data credibility, and the huge cost of bad data. So it's been really informative, insightful, and has gotten the wheels turning. Can you please summarize for us and our audience the major takeaways from our series of conversations? There's a couple of ways to summarize this, but the first point is that is that the data, bad data is the norm. And I don't care where you sit, bad data is the norm. People who work in healthcare say, if in our business, if the data is bad, we kill people, right? But then my response is, in that case, you're killing a lot of people because the evidence is your data is no better than anybody else's. And in industry after industry, so we have to accept this. And at some sort of level, people say garbage in, garbage out. It's in their hearts they know this. And, but the facts really support that they're, what their hearts are telling them is true. And the, the, the second major point is it is money, it is lost time, it is lost productivity that is there to be had. Right now, it is not there to be had through some technological wizardry or some clever tool or something like this. Data quality is a management problem. And at the heart of solving this is these two simple things we beat on today, customers and creators. And the management aspect of that is everybody on your team or in your department or in your division or in your company has to get these roles. And and now, again, it's a change from what we're doing now. And, and all change is hard. All change takes courage. But big benefits are there for those who will, who will show the courage and make these changes. And, and yet I feel that it's past time for companies to be doing that. I agree, Tom, and and I'm really excited to ask this very last question of you for our entire series. Can you please provide us with your 2023 thoughts on the future? And let's say the next 10 years of data. With emerging technologies like AI and chat GPT, what can we expect in the next wave of good and bad data? Give us a prediction. What do you think is to come? Yeah, look, that's a really fair question. Do bear in mind, I think there's about 8 billion people on the planet now, and I am the number one evangelist and, and, and advocate for data quality. And so I really am. And I, so, so uh, you know, I fully appreciate my own biases in, in this regard. I also think that like my enthusiasm and my evangelism is, is not based on some theory Right, it's based on what I've seen in practice and the improvements I've seen people and companies be.
be able to make and the changes it's made in their life. And so like part of that makes me makes me really optimistic. But um, I also think, look, I, I we wouldn't have said AI 10 years ago, but we, we would have said something similar with these great technologies coming so we can get data better. There's great improvements to be had. So in terms of the future, I think three things are tripled, right? I guess you could say three things are coupled, but if there's three, they'd have to be tripled, right? And these are progress in AI. And AI right now is, it, it's got all the hype and the potential is there. And I think that potential is really good. So not only just in everyday business, but it's to solve some really hard business problems. But AI's, AI's uh, had a hard time getting started. And one of the number one reasons is the data hasn't been good enough. You can just read the newspaper and find out uh, uh, about a lot of failures there. So from a data quality perspective, we haven't had that sort of killer app, that killer thing that gets everybody excited. And I am hopeful that people will see that AI depends on really high quality data and so they, they've got to invest in, in doing the things we talked about a few minutes ago. Conversely, if you don't, then I think AI, AI will struggle. Though we'll see some successful projects. We'll see a lot of things that fail. And then we'll see some things that are darn right harmful. If you train an algorithm with bad data, you're going to get a bad result and no telling what it's going to get. And, and the other thing that's in that triple is people. And we talked about everybody's a customer and creator, and 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 so you're not going to get high quality data unless you get people involved in these roles. And so, and I, but I don't think you're going to get them in these roles unless you get them through quality. And so, I see these things as coupled; they go together as a triple. If people get excited about them, then they move forward. Then I see an extremely bright role, and I see an enormous economic boom. And if they don't, then it's just going to be another technology that failed to deliver on its on its promise and data quality continues to be only for those with with exceptional courage thank you tom i appreciate that insight and i think the biggest thing that i heard you say is that the technologies that are coming out they have to get it right it has to be right from the start or it could end up being your garbage in garbage out your phrase that you keep saying throughout our podcast, that garbage in, garbage out becomes even more apparent with bigger technologies like AI and chat GPT. So thank you for that insight. Yeah, let me just build on that a second. It's like in a most modeling, you get these things like parameters and coefficients and stuff like that. You can look at them and see if they make sense. But an awful lot of AI is a black box. And, and the computer doesn't care whether the numbers you put in are bad or not. But it is very hard to check whether a model makes any sense or not. And once it's out there, it can do enormous damage before you find out about it. So yeah, garbage in, garbage out. And the AI space has become big garbage in, big garbage out. So that is our time for today. I'd like to thank everyone for joining our SAP Let's Talk Data podcast. 
Tom, thanks so much for spending this time with us. It's always a pleasure. And I have to say, I'm super bummed that this is our last podcast in the series. Kim and I are going to make sure that we can get you back on with us, hopefully very soon. So to our audience, keep an eye out for Tom's next book, People and Data. It's a innovative exploration of the role that people and data play in organization success and how they work together to help businesses unlock their full potential. The release date is July 27th. Is that correct, Tom? Yes, that is. And so I imagine by the time people hear this, the book will be out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There we go. And for those who haven't seen the book yet, where can they get their copy? The publisher was Kogan Page and Kogan Page has been offering good discounts. I think it's people in data 20 will get you a 20 percent discount. And of course, it's always available on Amazon. And just a quick plug for Kogan Page. Boy, were they they really helped make this a, a my best book. So I thank them for that. Buy it there if you can. And if it's difficult, then go to Amazon. Wonderful, Tom. Thank you. I know I will be looking out for that. It is such a, a really great topic that I have now through our series become passionate about. So I am looking forward to it myself. I also encourage our audience to take a look at the additional resources available within the description. For this podcast, we are also including a YouTube video of the Friday afternoon measurement Tom mentioned. Also, please subscribe to our series and stay tuned for new episodes and get caught up on the ones that you may have missed. Thanks again, Tom. We appreciate your time so much. Thank you, Autumn, and be well. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Check out the show notes for additional links to information. And please subscribe or follow to join us on the next episode of Let's Talk Data presented by SAP.